0: Welcome to the Wonderful Leaders Podcast, a place for Christian entrepreneurs and leaders to be encouraged and inspired to grow in your personal and organisational leadership. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to a a special live podcast recording with my very special guest. I'll introduce shortly, but I just, as we're doing it live, I just wanted to say welcome to everyone that's joining us on Hopin or on other social platforms. I know you're kind of connecting in various ways. So welcome. Thank you for taking a bit of time out of your day. I know you're not here to listen to me. You're here to listen to Ruth, which is absolutely fine. Having said that, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a podcast recording. We're going to have a live Q&A. We're going to get some questions through. Yeah, Ruth's going to answer those questions for us. I would like to introduce my very special guest for today. And I was just saying to Ruth before before we started, I know loads of people that are excited about this. Um, We have got Ruth Yimika Afalabi, who is the CEO and founder of Magnify. And uh, I'll let Ruth tell you a bit more about Magnify, but just to kind of give you an overview for those that don't know, Magnify exists to serve women and change the narrative of faith through media. Ruth started Magnify at the age of 19, intending it to only be a one-off event. Upon graduating, Ruth worked for L'Oreal and Burberry, developing her understanding of creativity and media. However, Magnify gained so much traction that she was able to go full-time with the organization in 2018, which now boasts a collaborative team and delivers a monthly magazine, bi-weekly podcasts, events, and digital and social content, and it all looks amazing. You've got to, if you're not following, follow now. So Ruth, welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's a real honor to be here.
1: It's great to have you on. And just, we're going to get straight into it. We've got a lot to get through in the next sort of 50 or so minutes. So for those that don't know you, please tell us a little bit about yourself and what your leadership life looks like.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm just 10:33. 33. I live in London with my husband. Um, really passionate, obviously, about what I do in my day job, but also um, just really about helping people find, live and work with purpose and intentionality in every area of their lives. So whether that's relationships, that their work, um, faith, yeah, kind of all areas. I'm also a huge sports fan, so you'll probably hear lots of sporting analogies when I'm speaking and I'm a United, Manchester United fan. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much about me.
1: You're Manchester United fans. Are you? Uh, Jaden Sancho is your. What's planned out for us next season? That's all I.
0: can uh, say. I tell
1: you what, I, I don't doubt that as much. I'm an Arsenal fan. I've got nothing to say right now apart from my boy we'll just Move on from that, then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's just move on. So before we get into sort of magnifying what you do now, tell us a little bit about your background, Durham University, and then how you know, how did you how did you sort of move and segue into magnify.
0: Yeah, so um, background, um, I'm Nigerian, which is a huge part of who I am. Um, so I was born in Nigeria and moved here with my parents when I was six months old. So I've lived in London for most of my life. Um, I did live in Lincoln and Leicester for a few years growing up as well. Um, but yeah, had an amazing childhood. I'm very close to my parents. In particular, was always grateful that they really encouraged my brother and I to always be curious. Um, so whether that was with different sports that we did or music, they were always encouraging us to try new things but also to do things to the best of our ability. And I think that that's really stayed with me through a lot of yeah everything that I've been able to do and be involved in. Um, in terms of faith. So, yeah, my parents are Christian. We were raised in a Christian household, but they were always making it clear to my brother and I that, being a Christian was a personal decision that we had to make. We weren't Christian because they were Christian or because we're Nigerian. Um, So I think like growing up, we always kind of had very much of an open mind. I enjoyed being in youth group, enjoyed going to church, but was never under the illusion that I was Christian just because of the environment I was in. Um, But then sadly, between 2005 to 2007, I lost three people in my family quite suddenly. Um, And that really kind of changed my view of faith in particular and the role it played in my my life um, because I felt that yeah kind of if faith isn't there in the hard times what does it actually mean so I went to Durham University to study politics I wanted to go into politics but my personality is not wired in that way at at all Um, but yeah kind of in after the first term came back and I felt like a light just switched on in my head and that true faith couldn't be dependent on whether things always went well because that wasn't the reality of life Um, and very instantly when I came back to university in second term had a passion, I guess, to give people the opportunity to explore faith in an engaging and relatable way. It wasn't about forcing them in any way to make a decision, but I guess exposing people to something that they might not have been familiar with. Um, and I guess another key element of the Magnify story has been a passion to tell stories of people of faith from many different spheres, and particularly industries, because again, growing up, I would often hear people speak about Christianity from the perspective of being um, a or being a charity worker or being in professions that felt kind of more I guess caring which people associated with being of faith whereas I wanted to show people in business in sport in finance in any area and show that it wasn't about turning you into a certain type of person so yeah that was a bit of my childhood but I think a lot of the traits and disciplines that my parents instilled in my brother and I have been a huge reason why I've been able to build Magnify.
1: That's amazing so actually the kind of the the kind of genesis of magnify was very much aligned with you coming to faith definitely yeah amazing and has the vision of magnify sort of changed or evolved since those early days
0: yeah so i think obviously when we started it was just one event february 6 2009 and i never expected it to be anything else i purely just wanted to run one event and hoped that my friends would hear and then yeah they'd make a decision or not make a decision that would be the end of it Um, and i guess then we did a a conference for 250 women that September. And so things have often happened very organically, same way with digital content. After doing the first event, we realised that, yes, giving people the experience opportunity to explore faith is what we're about but there are different ways to do that and different mediums and we realized that events well physical events were very expensive very time consuming also limited people because people were coming from all around the country but it wasn't sustainable to be traveling two hours and you probably wouldn't travel two hours regularly for something that you don't necessarily know is something that you're that interested in Um, So that was how the blog evolved. And obviously we started just as like Facebook was becoming a thing. And then the print magazine was another way where, again, people were hearing something for the first time and being able to package that in a way that I guess felt more sustainable and more like a keep safe. Whereas we all know sometimes with the Internet, you've got like 15 tabs open. So even if you're reading something that's important, you probably might forget about it because there's a lot of other things that you're doing. Um, So I think the key thing is we've just tried to be innovative in the way that we are trying to change the narrative of the Christian faith. Um, So I often get a little bit frustrated when people describe us just as a magazine, um, because for me, a magazine is just a part of what we do But the vision is to use media however media evolves Um, so we always want to be innovative in making sure that we can do that effectively so that we can actually meet people where they're at.
1: I love that, I love the change in the narrative around the Christian faith and the evolution of that, I think that's brilliant. Now I'm going to pick up on something that's on your website actually which kind of explains this but I want to get your Perspective on it. I think on the, on, I think it's a quote on the site which says something like, I'm paraphrasing, that you're a collective of like-minded and progressive individuals who are committed to improving the world through timeless human values. Well, I love that statement. But obviously, in you know, in the polarized world we live in now, how do I suppose both you as a leader and also magnify as 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 a kind of network? How do you endeavor to live out those timeless human values as you describe?
0: So I think one of the key things for us is I always say within our team and all of our team would say this, is that we are trying to change the narrative around the Christian faith. We're not trying to change the Christian faith. So people often say, oh, there's this new cultural value that we have. what do you magnify? Think about that, and that's absolutely wonderful. You know, culture in the world <laughs> will evolve as it does, um, but we subscribe to biblical a biblical worldview, and we make no, um, I guess, kind of secret about that. But I think the way that we communicate that is what is important, and what we are focused on. Um, and I think when I, we say like minded individuals, one thing that's really important for me is to almost have magnify as a stake in the ground. Where when I was growing up, you know, I would read magazines like In Style and. Vogue, and there was nothing wrong with those magazines in and of themselves. But I felt that there was almost a strange contradiction growing up in church, where then it was like everything that I'm reading or all the media that I'm consuming, I'm not seeing anyone who looks like me, who shares the same values as me, who their perspective on life is similar to mine in any way. But then, equally, when I was in church, I kind of felt the same thing in the reverse of like, okay, I don't think that I want to work in a charity or, you know, spend my life doing missions trips in Nigeria, for instance. So I again, never felt that, that I fitted in anywhere. So I think with magnify what we're doing is a lot of the women, regardless of which point in faith they are at the moment, they have a desire to make an impact and to live lives with purpose. It's just that some people haven't yet worked out what should be the anchor of their lives and their purpose. So yeah, that's what we mean when we say that.
1: That's brilliant. That's excellent. And I think there's there'll be many, many sort of Christian entrepreneurs or or leaders in different environments that can resonate with that, where you see what's in the world and you think, uh-uh, I don't want that. But you kind of see what you see on a Sunday and you think, hang on, I don't fit into that box. And it's not being critical of one or the other, but you have to create your own box, your own paradigm. And that's that's what the Lord's given you to do, which I think is brilliant. Now, I want to kind of drill a little bit more into your um, – I suppose leadership styles, and just how you've kind of grown and developed over the years. Because one thing I, I sort of reading from the outside in, it seems like you enjoy building teams, and you mentioned a few times about you know helping people to reach their potential and find their purpose. So, how does that work with your leadership style, and what do you love about sort of leading and developing people? Because it's hard work.
0: Definitely. <laughs> I think for me, I always say that leading the team is just one of the greatest honours of my life and building that team. Um, and I think for a couple of reasons. One, I often remember environments, both good and bad, where I've either worked for people who've empowered me and made me feel that genuinely the sky was the limit. Um, and I've also worked with people who've micromanaged me where I felt like going to work, I would rather sit and be broke rather than actually go to the workplace um so i think having had those experiences they've shaped a lot of my leadership where particularly when i was at burberry i felt so empowered it was such an exciting and exhilarating environment to work in and that was from leadership at all different levels but i think that being in environments like that it's also important where as a leader you recognize that people might not be with you forever you know the working world has changed particularly with millennials and gen z but i always say the time that they are here with us i want it to be an extremely rewarding time where they feel that this has played a pivotal part in their life journey um so you know in our team meetings for instance we have weekly huddles on a monday but the fourth monday of the month we use it for people on the team to tell us about projects they're doing outside of work and passions or maybe businesses that they're thinking of and i remember saying that to a friend who works in the corporate world and was like that's a bit risky but I was like at the end of the day whether you empower your team with what they're doing and their life's passions or you don't they're still going to go off and do those things but they're likely to stay with you longer if they feel that the time that they are there they're also being supported not just for the work that they do at your organization but that you care about them as people and what they're doing outside and I think as a leader you're likely to inspire a lot more loyalty and people really kind of Going through walls for you um, at your place of work if they feel like you care about them as a person. So my first sporting analogy comes in here. So awesome. Sir Alex Ferguson, one of my heroes, and just watching so many interviews, documentaries with him and people who have been managed by him, they would always talk about how when they would bring their grandparents to watch him play, watch them play at Old Trafford or um, their family members or their friends, he would always remember like their names, and I think it was even Rio was talking about how his granddad would always come to Old Trafford and he'd always order like a Coke with lime or something. And there was a time where um, Sir Alex Ferguson walked in and said, oh, um, can you make sure you get Jim the Coke with the lime? And Rio was like, how on earth did he even remember that? But he said that it was those moments where you knew he was always silently just watching and caring about you as a person that literally made them run through brick walls for him as a manager. Um, so I think, yeah, with my leadership, a lot of it is informed in trying to, as best as I can, care about the whole of the p- people, their their entirety, not just the work that they do at Magnify. Um, and also leading in a way where people do not feel like they're being micromanaged. I always said to, say to our team that at the end of the day, I have hired you because I trust you to do the work. As long as you make it to team meetings and you deliver the work when it's supposed to. If you're someone that you, for instance, you're not very good at working between one to three, but you would prefer to work from four to eight or four to nine in the evening. I genuinely am not bothered because I think that the working world has changed. As long as you get your work done, that's what's important. To me. So I think as much as possible, I try to manage and lead the team in a way where I know I would like to be led. So, again, a small point was I told the team before Sunday if England win, you could have Monday off. Obviously, I'm a huge football fan, so that was a part (laughs) of it. Um, But I also knew that the mood of the nation, a lot of people felt very deflated on Sunday evening. So I said, actually, just take Monday off anyway. In the grand scheme of things, us taking the day off on Monday is not going to scatter everything that we've been building for the last 12 years. But it gives people, a, you know that people are going to be groggy and in a bad mood anyway. So I'd rather you come back on Tuesday and carry on giving 120% rather than feel like you've been dragged to work on Monday and give 30%. So, yeah, I try to be flexible in my leadership, but also try as much as possible to care about people where they're at and find out, you know, what are your life priorities? Is it that in three years, you want to go and be an entrepreneur? Okay, so these are our priorities as an organisation. We know that yes, you're firstly employed to help us reach those priorities. But is there anything that we can do to prepare you for what you want to do in the future? And I think if you do that, you might often find that when they get to the three year mark, it might be another three years before they want to go and build their business. So they're likely to stay with you another three years because they feel like this is a nurturing environment.
1: That's excellent. Wow, there's like a whole manuscript right there of modern leadership. I loved it. It's absolutely brilliant. And I suppose just a comment and a question. Have you found that, you know, as we've come through this COVID period and, and have you found that even more so that that flexibility, that empowering, that collaborative, have you, have you, have you sort of seen that in your own organisation that's been elevated?
0: most definitely and I think again just paying attention to where your team are at is really important because I felt last year as a team we just really stepped up a lot of it us were running on adrenaline there was so much excitement we had exponential growth last year but then we got to January and actually realized a lot of the team were very burnt out you know the excitement of oh we're working from home oh you know everyone's online so many people are t- tuning into our lives every week I realized that you had to be very sensitive to the fact that things had changed there were lots of our our team who their families live abroad so they hadn't then seen their family for 10 months so the sense of excitement about being you know locked down at home I also know I'm an introvert so for me lockdown was in many ways fantastic obviously COVID was awful. But as an introvert, if you tell me that I can stay at home indefinitely forever and only talk to one person, that was not necessarily a huge problem to me. Whereas I realized there are some people on our team, they were huge extroverts. So that was a real challenge continuing to be at home indefinitely with nobody to speak to. Um, So I think yet the pandemic, I tried to be as sensitive um, as possible and also know that in an organization, there are different seasons. So last year we were really going at 200 miles an hour i think this year a lot of it has been trying to consolidate that and make sure we have the infrastructure to be able to contain growth because i knew had we carried on at the pace of last year we probably would have burnt out by this time
1: right that's brilliant that's really really interesting now ruth we're kind of getting through the time pretty quickly and there's a couple of really key things i want to go through with you um we're obviously you know as wonderful leaders we're we're working as in a women in leadership series and my heart and desire is to really find out people's personal experiences approaches mindsets towards this whole topic it's very easy to to grandstand or just to say there's the usual rhetoric but for me I want to kind of get under the skin of things a little bit and so I just want to ask you what have, what are some of the kind of key challenges you see for women in leadership and the other side of it, what are the, some of the opportunities you see?
0: So I guess maybe just to say with my experience, I think I've had quite an interesting experience, partly because I went to an all girls school that was incredibly academic. So when I was at school, our school was the number one school in the country. So I never growing up, I never felt that because I'm a woman, it means that I'm less intelligent than people. I have less of a voice. It was actually only when I went to Durham and I remember being in seminars and I'd be talking and a guy would just start talking. And I was thinking, oh, maybe he, he's not, he did not hear that I'm already in the middle of a conversa- conversation conversation. Right. You're actually repeating what I was saying if you hadn't interrupted. Um, so I think I'm grateful that I had the view that being a woman in leadership in a sense, wasn't even a thing to me. It was just that I'm Ruth and I'm in leadership. It's not that I'm a black person or I'm a woman. I just was who I was. So I'm also grateful. And I try to caveat that with, I totally know that a lot of people haven't had that experience. Um, I think some of the challenges has just been people underestimating me. Obviously I started Magify when I was 19. So constantly people saying, oh, you're too young. Why don't you finish your degree? Have you actually been in ministry? Do you even know what you're doing? This isn't needed. Why can't you do a women's ministry at a church? Um, so I think now I'm just kind of used to that. And I always say like, I have total respect for anyone who wants to have an opinion you know that's the free world that we live in but people having an opinion that's their issue and their um yeah that's what they want to do I do not need to take on those opinions and that does not need to make me feel inferior about what I'm doing um so I think that's the way that I've tried to respond to that challenge and also just knowing that some people they just won't get this vision I remember talking to someone who's very well respected just in society in general and in business about magnifying he kind of just finished by saying well yeah if this were actually about empowering men I'd be really interested but I'm not really sure why empowering women is particularly necessary um and I remember after that meeting I was quite upset but then I just remembered like this is one man and I'm not even saying it from a gender perspective just like this is just one human being and ultimately God is the author of my destiny and the carrier and author of this vision it's not this person Um, so I think as much as possible when I encounter challenges where people underestimate me because of my age or because of my race, which definitely does happen. I'm not going to say that doesn't happen even if I don't take on those opinions. If anything, naturally, I'm a very competitive person. I don't know whether some people might think that's a bad thing, but I think my desires always, I want to use my gifts to the best of my ability. But if anything, that just inspires me to double down and to focus even more. And to really, you know, like with runners, be laser focused, and have blinkers on, um, I can't kind of yeah, control other people's perceptions of people like myself, or their view of underestimating me, I can only carry on with what I've been called to do. Um, in terms of I guess you said challenges and then the second bit was
1: opportunities. Yeah.
0: I think the opportunities is I always see my difference as a huge, huge advantage. Um, You know, by the time I finished school, I was the only black girl in my year in most environments that I'm in. I'm one of few black people, one of few women, definitely young black female openly Christian, building a Christian platform, pretty much always in a minority and I always see that that's my point of difference, not even in a bad way, I know that often when I'm in these environments people just remember you because you have been so different Um, so I think for me that doesn't scare me in any way, I actually see that God has made me as I am, I've had the experiences that I've had, I've had the upbringing, I've been created the way that I am for a reason and if anything I use that to my advantage and I think as well Particularly, a lot of people will say when they read Magnify or go on our social media, we are very, very ethnically diverse. And again, I see that as a huge blessing by having been in environments where I was the only one. That has definitely shaped my view to make this platform in that way. I know no platform is ever going to tick all of the boxes and be perfect in every area of diversity. But at least I know that my experience in that area has actually shaped what we're doing. So yeah, I only see it as a positive
1: I love that. I love that, you know, when you when you listed out all of the, you know, the different, you know, sort of areas that can impact your identity, you say that's what uniquely makes you who you are in that room, is that so powerful because you can easily become marginalized or feel victimized or feel, you know, you know, on the sidelines, but that's what makes you who you are, which is absolutely brilliant. Now, I can imagine you started, you know, Magnify 19, you know, you're, you're early thirties now, have in, in that time period, have you seen, and, and obviously before I ask this question, I suppose, the reason we've got this question now is there's a lot of narrative happening in and around us on a daily, weekly basis, even since the timestamp podcast episode, even since Sunday, you know, since the final, you know, there was a, there was a narrative that came out on Monday morning that wasn't pleasant, and then there's been a response to it. Have you seen a change in leadership attitudes and opportunities for women in leadership do you think people's attitudes have changed are changing evolving
0: i think they're definitely evolving i think the sad thing is i think in the mainstream industries more than in the kind of church world they're actually evolving at a much quicker rate um and it's not even about getting into whether some denominations encourage women to preach or whatever i'm not particularly focused or interested in that but i think that The church in particular has a lot of work to do in terms of genuinely seeing that as a value that adds to your organisation, that that's not dragging you down. It's not making you fill quotas that you don't want to fill, but actually bringing a diversity of experience. Um, And again, women and men, we're not monoliths, but there are certain skills that women have that often a lot of men in leadership do not have and so organizations would hugely benefit from bringing women into positions of leadership so I think yeah things are changing but in some sectors I think I would love to see change happen a lot quicker.
1: Right no that that makes complete sense and and I can vouch for that Um, (laughs) just kind of drilling down into your leadership in your life now Ruth what kind of what leaders do you look up to or have you learned from? Um,
0: so, so Alex Ferguson, as I said, <laughs> um, for obvious reasons. Um, I think also Jeannie Buss. So she's the president of the Los Angeles Lakers. Again, I'm a huge sports fan. But again, when you listen to players who have been part of the Lakers, they always say that actually as an owner, she's very much someone who puts players first, as opposed to uh, obviously she's running a business that's a family business, but it's a for-profit business. So in one sense, other people in her position might put the players might put sorry profit before the players because in a sense players are moving parts whereas they will always say that as a leader um she's been incredible in doing that um another person which might be a bit controversial to say on this podcast but i don't really care and i'll explain why um is chris jenner now i know a lot of people particularly christians have you know thousand issues about people like the kardashians can be discussed another time um, but i think when i listen to so many interviews with her she talks a lot about using what's in your hand and i think the thing i've learned about leadership is i take leadership lessons from different people i don't necessarily need to agree with absolutely everything in their life quite frankly i don't know these people personally so i can't even i don't think it's fair just to judge on what i see in media um, but i think what she exemplifies is the fact that she said number one keeping up the Kardashian started when she was 52 she realized she's got six children they need to be provided for and she was very honest about the type of the standard of life financially that she wanted to have um and we can talk all day long there are many reality stars who after they they've been on tv we never hear of them again the fact that at least two daughters she's turned their businesses into billion dollar empires um I think there's just a lot to be learned that it's not necessary about having all of the right skill sets or even being as skilled necessarily as other people in your industry but hard work is really important and I guess finding a niche out of who you are as a person um is something that I've learned from her um and then finally Emma Greed so she is the um co-founder of good american which is a jeans well a fashion line they've now expanded Um, but again she's from east london she now lives in la Um, and i think just again someone who leaders who don't run away from hard work um, and are just prepared to like keep at it they really really inspire me
1: Awesome. What a diverse group of people there. It's brilliant. Excellent. Now, Ruth, before we get to everyone else's Q- Q&As and questions, uh, I've got one final question for you. So looking back at your sort of life and leadership journey so far, um, what's one piece of leadership advice you'd give your younger self, your 19-year-old self?
0: Keep being faithful to what you've been called to, even when no one is encouraging or applauding you. Right. Yeah, that's the one thing I've always tried to do. But there are times where you feel like people aren't buying into what I'm doing or I'm not getting respect or I'm not getting recognition or I'm not getting people to support the vision that I'm doing. But I've just seen the huge fruit that comes from being faithful and ultimately, as a Christian, I know not everyone listening might be, but for me, remembering I'm living for an audience of one. So knowing that God has called me to this, that is the, the primary thing that keeps me going and what I'm focused on.
1: Brilliant. Well great way to end the podcast section of this event. Now it's uh over to to our audience and we're just gonna curate a couple of questions as they come through. Okay, so questions just come through, which I think I think you've already answered a little bit, but what have been some of the most challenging things you found as a as a as a woman in leadership? uh your opinions or your leadership style your your position or perceptions of you what have been some of those challenging things that you found
0: I think if I was to answer that question, honestly, I don't think the challenges I face are to do with being a woman. I think that the challenges, if anything, are more to do with my race and my age and the nature of what I'm building. Um, So when I say about race, one of the things that frequently irritates me is when people will say, oh, this is a platform for black women. And I'm like, if you objectively look at the magazine covers, if you look at the features, it's very, very clear that we feature women from all different races. And I think sometimes it's just people's assumption that because I'm black, that must be the only community that I want to engage with. And obviously there are amazing platforms that that is their focus, but that's what they have specifically been called to. Um, so I think for me, it's just that perception can be something that I find quite frustrating. Um, so, yeah, it's more linked to my race rather than being a woman. And I think just my age, I wouldn't really say it's challenging. I just think that's natural, is that what, now when I'm, I'm 33, when I look at people who are 19, I'm thinking, you're absolute babies. Like, you know, <laughs> you've got all of life ahead of you, but you're literally a child. And so looking back, I don't begrudge people in any way who underestimated the, the clarity of vision or conviction that I had, I think that's just a human thing, is that people naturally think that if people are very young, maybe they'll grow out of it or maybe they're just excited for this month, but then next month they'll think of something else that they're really passionate about. So I think, yeah, my challenges have more been related to my age, to my race. Um, and then also just the challenge of we're trying to sit at the intersection of faith and culture. And we know that culture is rapidly changing um, and there's not always the room for nuance or actually healthy discussion and people already have a lot of assumptions as to what christians are like or what christianity is about and so yeah i think if anything a lot of my challenges have come from that rather than from being a woman
1: right okay now that's brilliant insight and you know th- thank you for that uh, another question that's just come through um how did your gifts or interests lead you to start to magnify
0: so in a way, I wouldn't really say that they led me to start Magnify. I just think they would become useful along the journey. So this, the reason I started it was I'd had a personal life-transforming moment of becoming a Christian myself. And I wanted to give other people the opportunity to start that. The way that I'm wired is just that I... Like, if I see a gap, I just want to sort it out right away. I don't really, like, think, oh, what's the 20-year plan? Or, you know, who could I contact who could sort that problem out? I just have always, ever since I was, like, five years old, that's how I've always been. Um, So I don't really think my gifts... Wait, maybe my gift of just getting stuff done, that was what led me to start Magnify. Um, but I think if anything, it was more a conviction about the vision that led me to start it. And it's just that looking back, clearly the gifts that God had given me and the experiences, they've played a part in helping me build the vision as it's grown.
1: That's really interesting. But having said that, I can, you, you can see obviously your experience, you know, both in terms of university and in your, your, your experience in a the, in the corporate world you know you can see it shine through magnify you know the quality the excellence the creativity so yeah whether yeah it was definitely been utilized that's for sure and uh, from an out, outside in um question here from um simon teague what skills do you feel leaders need to develop the most to build winning teams
0: oh great question so again taking from sporting analogies i think <laughs> When you say winning, and again, I I feel that sometimes, I mean, I'd love to do a whole thing on comp- having a competitive nature, winning and faith, because I think that a lot of people see that sometimes in a negative way. I don't. Um, I think one of the key things to winning is, number one, establishing what excellence and the standard by which you want your team to succeed making sure that that's clear and what that means so if I think of sport when Charles Ferguson was around I know United we've slightly changed now but at that time winning meant winning the Premier League winning the Champions League it didn't mean staying in the division. So I think that um, his whole team was obviously aware that if you come to United, that's what we mean by winning. So I think the first thing is making sure that the standard of excellence that you're aiming for, the whole team are aware that that is what you're working towards. So with Magpie, for instance, I always tell the team in the next five years, we want to be engaging with a million women every week across all of our platforms. That means that if in five it means that if you're joining and you just want to continue to like reaching 40,000 women we reach 25,000 women now but if reaching 40,000 women to you is what you can like it's beyond your comprehension probably this is not going to be the right organization you're going to feel like you're being pushed more than is yeah enjoyable for you um so I think excellence I think um Making sure that everyone is really clear on what they are doing and what the organization stands for and the part that they have to play in that. Because, again, when you think about sporting teams, they all win when everyone plays their part to the best of their ability. Um, So, yeah, that's the kind of a second thing I would say. Um, And I think the third thing is just a relentlessness and resilience relentlessness to keep going and a resilience um, because you know I'm sure anyone listening we've all had life experiences particularly in leadership where you see that things are so hard probably at least four times a week I'm like god please could I just have like a normal job that would not be so stressful Um, so I think yeah building a winning team part of that is just being resilient and being willing to get up even when you lose Um, and I remember listening to a couple of a couple of athletes have actually said this but most recently Rio Ferdinand on Sunday after the players lost and he said they, they should never forget this feeling of losing because that's actually what inspires you to win again and This is my last 40 analogy, but the late, great Kobe Bryant and Paul Gasol, who was one of his teammates, he was saying that the way he was able to inspire him was after the olympics um america i think beat spain and kobe put his winning jersey in paul's um locker so that was the first thing he saw for training at the start of the next season and i think sometimes your team remembering what losing or not quite making a goal feels like not in a way where you feel the, the world is over but i think that sense of resilience and remembering i don't want to feel like this so let's go again and let's win that's really important
1: that's awesome no that's brilliant and there's again, there's, there's the whole little manuscript there, right there, and building teams. I love that. Penultimate questions. We've got two more questions left. How do you share with your audience what your company culture is, is at Magnify and how you're different to, say, you know, the culture of the world or, or a different type of culture? That's from Natasha Minter.
0: I think for us, we I remember listening to Seth Godin recently, and he was saying that, if anything, when you build an audience first, like that's how you engage with your audience that's actually what they buy into so for us I think people can see through our content and even when you get snippets of the team we're a close team we're a diverse team we're a passionate team but I think the audience is actually less interested in that than the value we're adding to them as an organization you know there are plenty of brands where I don't know the culture of their organization I can only kind of infer that from the way that they deal with me as a member of their audience so yeah to answer the question I think that you share that by just being authentic to who you are but i think that the way that we're different is not even an intentional way we are just who we are and i think you can see through the content we just try to live out our values as best as possible
1: brilliant and final question ruth and before we it feels like it's becoming a grilling now i've asked you so many questions final question what's the dream for magnify
0: so, to become the number one um, global online destination for women to find out about faith.
1: There we go. Full stop. Done. <laughs> that's oh, man, it. I like it. <laughs> Ruth, and thank you so much for the podcast. Thank you so much for answering these questions. Thank you to everyone that's asked questions in the chat. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ruth. You've been absolutely brilliant. It's been a pleasure spending time with you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. To be part of the community, join our close Facebook group and follow us
0: on Twitter and Instagram. Simply look us up at Wonderful Leaders and we'll see you there.